0: we're going to uh, take the opportunity to move back into Mark's Gospel this morning which will make, make you surprised because the title for this morning was For the Joy Set Before Him and that clearly isn't from Mark's Gospel it's from Hebrews we don't need to go there just yet but I just want to do for those of you who've not been um, uh, in those sessions not, and that will be with many of us because it, it's come through the year and various people have been there at, when I've spoken and then not been so, let me just do a quick recap. We looked at Mark's Gospel. It was probably written with Peter's help and Peter was a good friend of Mark's and he wanted to get down everything that had happened that Peter remembered. So, we looked to start with um, at the, uh, the temptation in the wilderness, the wilderness experience and the baptism of Jesus. That was our first couple of sessions that we did. And what we began to see when Mark was uh, laying out this message, that he was actually showing a a slow revelation of who Jesus was. He was saying, this is who Jesus is. And gradually we get this in a number of ways. The first way, of course, was the father actually said, this is my son, listen to him. You remember, I don't know if you remember, Sue did that, spoke about... um, uh, that wonderful showed that cartoon of um, from Tom and Jerry where there's uh, Spike and his little dog and he goes that's my boy remember that? well that's very much the sense you get of the father's pleasure at his son that's my boy but seriously it was an endorsement from heaven that he was his son but then throughout, we get, then begin to get an opening up, a revelation of who Jesus um, really was. And we looked in Mark's Gospel and we saw um, how unfolding through, so first of all, the miracles. Think of the miracles that we saw. We looked at how the miracles of, uh, through chapters uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 of Mark's Gospel, we were looking at um, how the unfolding Revelation of who this man was. He could walk on water. He could feed 5,000. He could um, heal the sick. He had a a power over the natural world, but he also had authority. We saw next that he had authority over demons, over kind of spiritual forces. We saw him driving out demons and speaking powerfully. Into the spiritual realm. Then we have this amazing thing happen, which we call the transfiguration, which is when Jesus went uh, up a mountain with some friends, and uh, he was changed. And remember, I don't know if you remember the word we used for that. It was metamorphosis, and he was changed before their very eyes. And in that too, we had that revelation from God about who Jesus was. And so we've got again this revelation. So the revelations now come to the disciples as a confession that Peter makes of you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then the journey begins towards Jerusalem and we get the whole story about him coming into Jerusalem and the revelation now comes to the crowd. And how do they respond? Hosanna to the Son of David. So we have this whole thing, building and 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 And then they're going to crown him king and they're going to make him king of Israel and the Romans are going to be thrown out and it's all going to be fine again. Doesn't quite happen like that, does it? Doesn't quite go that way. So let's turn in Mark's Gospel and and see how it does turn out. Because what we're going to see, guys, is... um, something of a reverse gear. Something is going to be happening which is the opposite to what has been happening. There's been a gradual revelation and an acceptance by more and more and more and more until all the whole people of Jerusalem were acknowledging Jesus as being the Messiah. Hosanna to the Son of David. We need to be in Mark 14. In fact, right at the end of 14. We're going to go to um, 27 of chapter 14. Um, It says there, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And actually just before that, let's go back a bit because we've got the important um, other account of... um, this uh, sense of falling away. It says here, where verse 17, uh, 18, when they were, while they were reclining at table eating, he said, tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened and one by one they said to him, surely not I. What we're beginning to see is Jesus' knowledge that he's not going, he knew full well that he was not going to have this um, glorious moment of coronation over Israel and throwing out the Romans. He knew that. He was here for a different reason. <coughs> and he is, here he is in front of his disciples saying, no, you are going to betray me. And then we have this uh, incident with Peter even if i have verse 31 even if i have to die with you i will never disown you and all the others said the same okay right so we have a bit of a setup here we know already from our knowledge before perhaps that judas has already agreed to betray jesus to the high priests he's gone to them and they've offered him 30 pieces of silver so there has been a decision made in judas And uh, we we go to uh, verse 32 and we've got uh, onwards from there. He took Peter, sorry, 33, he took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. There's something that Jesus is seeing, something that he's seeing here, He's sensing a change, a shift in the spiritual realm. He's beginning, and this is the the, the, the term I want to use for the, all I want to say to you this morning. He's beginning to feel that sense of isolation, separateness. He's already talked about it with the disciples. You're going to betray me. You're going to flee. You're going to go from me. Oh no, we won't. We never will. He talks to his father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Not what I will, but what you will. And then further down, it goes, uh, for verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. Uh, with him was a crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss the man, uh, is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going to, at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Now, something I hadn't realised, which I discovered in the study on this, was that when Jesus told the, the chief priests, the one I kiss, he used one word, which means to kiss. All right. And then... When he actually went up to Jesus, the word here is, says, uh, let's find it, going at uh, once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. was a different word. The word he used there is a word which means a prolonged kiss. So he actually went up to him and kissed him on the cheek and held him. In doing that, he was betraying him the purpose of doing that. He didn't, want to be, he didn't want to convey to any doubts to the guards about who he was betraying. But I thought it was quite something that he was prepared not only just to kiss him, but to kiss him, to use a prolonged kiss, the act of a friend, a dear friend. Jesus was being isolated. This was premeditated isolation. This was Judas deciding, I am rejecting. I am putting this away. Now, yeah, we could go into all the motivation stuff. We've all done it. Why did Judas do it? We could have the arguments about maybe he was just fed up of feeling on the fringe himself. You know, Maybe he just felt isolated and thought, blow it. Maybe he thought, and this is a common one, isn't it, that, that somehow by betraying him he'd, he'd provoke Jesus into standing up for who he really was and there'd be a big uprising and, Judah, and Jesus would become the Messiah because Judas thought Jesus needed a bit of a, a prompting. Huh? No, of course he didn't. He knew exactly what he was doing, but that's sometimes been the, been the argument. Others have talked about the fact that he... Um, got into trouble with the money and there was a whole issue about that. We don't really know, it's the truth, we don't know what Judas's motivation for what he did was. He, we just know he was tempted and he gave in to temptation. And Jesus' words, are, it, actually in Mark, are, are pretty horrendous about this. It, he, he says, But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man, it would be better for him if he had not been born. Really, really hard stuff, But he had made that choice. He'd isolated himself by deciding to. It was premeditated. So, that in a way, the first kind of isolation that Jesus experienced, and this is the kind of first main point I wanted to make, was that Jesus was isolated by people who had decided to isolate him, to separate themselves from second thing, if we move down the the page um, it says there uh, let's go to verse 50 of chapter 14 the thing that everybody knows happened then verse 50 then everyone deserted him and fled (coughs) yeah, even Peter not only that, even John the disciple Jesus loved fled for his life and there's a, a, an amazing little incident which I, I, I guess you've seen before maybe um, there's verse 51 in Mark look at verse 51 and 52 a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind why is that there? why is that there? Who could that be? Who do you think it is? Mark. Yes. I think it's Mark. It doesn't say it's Mark. There are some clues. It's quite common practice. But the other person in the Gospels who kind of used this this kind of humble kind of refusal to use his name was John. In John's Gospel he says the disciple who Jesus loved. Here we've got another incident where it says a young man, not identified. And here's a couple of little other clues which... This is a teaching bit really rather than a, a preaching bit. There's a couple of other clues that might mean that you, you feel comfortable about it being Mark. The first is to say, how would we know what Jesus prayed? The only way we'd know what Jesus prayed if somebody had been there to listen to it. And that was probably Mark. The other gospel writers got much of their writings from Mark's writings. It says a young man wearing nothing but linen garment was was following Jesus. Yes. So the words there, he was following. He was there in the garden of Gethsemane. Now we don't know. Maybe he was one of the guys that fell asleep at the same time. We don't know. But it's a possibility that Mark was there. It is a possibility, and he was the guy um, that uh, heard that. The other little um, thing which I found interesting was. Again, this is through looking and uh, study. It was in Acts 12, you don't need to go there, it talks about Peter's miraculous escape from prison and the house that was being used. Now, some scholars believe that it may be the very house that they had the Last Supper in because it's the house, a, a large house in Jerusalem which was being used by friends of the disciples. And Peter was in prison and he escaped and he goes and knocks on the door. Do you remember the, the incident? He knocks on the door and the, and the um, Rhoda, that's right, comes goes, ah! <laughs> It's a ghost or something. And she doesn't open the door and he's standing outside. And, and, and Peter's standing outside, having got out of prison. He can't get into the, into the house where they all are. Whose house was it? It was Mark's mum's. All right? it belonged to Mark's mum. So some scholars believe, well, maybe that was the house they also had the Last Supper in, in which case it was highly likely that Mark was at the Last Supper, serving table or whatever, being there, young lad. He would have heard, you know, and, and would have gone on. So there's, a, there's a, a line of argument. It's conjecture. Forgive me, it's conjecture. But what we do know is that it's likely that this guy, Mark, fled. And that's the point, really, I want to get to, that Mark fled. He fled for his life. And what Mark's saying there is that I don't want to stand up as somebody who wouldn't have done exactly the same as them. Just the same. And all of us sitting here would probably like to say, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have run. I'd have been there. It's hard enough for me own up to Jesus when I'm in the queue at Asda's, let alone standing in the Garden of Gethsemane with a troop of soldiers around me. Of course I'd run. To my shame. And to theirs. But they ran. Everyone deserted him. They reacted. Second kind of isolation then. First type was premeditated. Second kind of isolation that Jesus experienced was the isolation of those who reacted and ran away. Then we have Jesus before the Sanhedrin. We're now in Mark 14 in the 50s. And they, many testified, 56, many testified falsely against them but their statements did not agree. Then some, some stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I'll destroy this man-made temple. Um, and then uh, further down it says, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? The words there, verse 64, they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. We have a situation here where now Jesus is not only isolated from his friends, from somebody who decided to betray him, but he's also known... Um, isolated from any sense of support from the uh, religious authorities from the people there they, they mocked him they despised him they pushed him away they said no now in, there are two other guys who we, we need to probably just allow their moment of p- potential uh, blamelessness from this, two guys who possibly did not one is Nicodemus, but we don't know Nicodemus, who Jesus, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He spoke to Jesus in John 3 about the whole issue about um, a lesser man be born again, do you remember that? Yes, for God so loved the world. When he was speaking to Nicodemus there in John 3, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. But we don't know what's, how Nicodemus reacted to that account. All we know is that he heard it. You know, he starts off by saying, we know that you are a teacher sent by God, but he doesn't finish with a statement saying, because of course Jesus said, unless a man go into his, how can, and Nicodemus responds by saying, how can a man go back into his mother's womb? We don't know how Nicodemus reacted. We don't know whether Nicodemus was there. So let's give the guy the credit, the benefit of the doubt. The other guy, who's the other one? Joseph of Arimathea, yes. He, it actually says, it's recorded in, um, actually in Mark's Gospel 2, I think, further on. Um, yes, uh, way on into verse chapter 15, verse 43. Joseph of Arathia, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, in, I think it's John's Gospel or one of the other Gospels. Joseph actually, it says, did not approve of what they did. But it doesn't say he was present when they did it. Because it was in the night. The trial was done at night. It doesn't say. So we have no contradiction with Mark when it says they all condemned him as worthy of death. Alright? but Sanhedrin acted as one man and condemned him to death, they isolated him. No! We will not have this. Ask you a question: Do you ever feel that what you're bringing amongst the body here is not accepted, not wanted? We must remember that what that feels like—that sense of of being separate, of left out, of rejected. Maybe you've had that experience elsewhere. Then we have—I'm not even going to go over Peter's betrayal in a way, Chrissy touched on it last week by talking about the love of um, Jesus asked P- Peter do you love me that was in direct response to the betrayal of, G- uh, of Peter in the, in the court there three times he denied him isolated and Jesus knew I want you to start thinking we've now had Judas the isolation we've had the f- disciples fleeing the isolation. We've had the, if you like, the academics of the nation, the intellectuals, the people that should know. Know. What's Jesus feeling like? How alone is that man feeling? How alone is it? Then, he's taken before Pilate and we have Pilate's indifference, really. He tried, yeah, a little bit. He tried to help Jesus out. Wanting to satisfy... This is chapter 15, verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Right. He found no favour, he found no comfort, he found no friends in the law of the land even though it was a trumped up charge Pilate chose no I don't want to get involved I don't want the trouble of it I don't want the rebellion I don't want the hassle you can go no isolation 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 we get to the cross there's lots of stories about what happened along the way about the the women weeping and Jesus speaking to them Um, and there are other stories which are less, they're not in the Bible but they're kind of traditional stories about I was watching The Passion of the Christ just to help me with this as well the story of Veronica wiping the face of Jesus isn't in the Bible Um, uh, so we've got a number of other things going on as as that happened. And but we get to the to the cross (coughs) and he's crucified. (coughs) I don't need to do the thing about telling you about the crucifixion. Many of you have probably seen the Passion of the Christ. Not recommended viewing for anybody really. Whilst he was on the cross, it says in Mark's Gospel um, where should we find it Um, verse yeah verse 29 those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying so you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days come down from the cross and save yourself in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross and and we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. We have the story of the thief who then changed his mind, in my view, observing the way in which Jesus handled it and actually asked Jesus for his help, recorded in one of the other gospel stories. And then we have the greatest isolation of all. We get to verse 34 of chapter 15. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? None of us will ever, ever, ever know an isolation like that. none of us will ever know that but in that moment sin and holiness could not occupy the same space in time or in space they could not occupy it and there was a rejection just like a magnet opposing, it could not be in the same space Jesus saw God's hand saying to him no The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the centurion standing by said surely this man was the son of God that wasn't the end of the story was it praise God I tend to feel Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ rather skimps on the resurrection but the the truth of the matter is that on the Sunday morning when the women went to the te- to the, the tomb the It was empty. The risen Christ, he'd done it. He'd achieved it. He'd done it. Now let's go to Hebrews 12. I've been getting so much out of this passage, as some of you know, I've shared it with a number of people in the last week or so. 12, chapter, sorry, chapter 12, verse okay let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why am I telling you this stuff today? Because of this. I want to ask you a question. You might know the answer to this question already. It says, For the joy set before him. What was the joy? Yes. We are we are. You might say, well, it could have been the joy set before him was he was going to sit at the Father's right hand. He already was. He already had that right. The joy set before him could have been eternity of the Father's blessing and grace. He already had that. The joy set before him was you, your salvation, your freedom, your ability to do the same to sit with him in the father's presence for eternity you know one of the things I've said to you guys before is that Satan the enemy has a lie that he loves to share with you and that is that you are alone that you are isolated. It's one of his master strokes. His one of the things he is determined to do is to bring division, to separate husband from wife, friend from friend, nation from nation, people from people, tribe from tribe. He will try everything to do it. And what do we see in the gospel accounts? This, what we've just been reading about was Satan doing exactly the same. First with Judas, no. Then with the disciples, no. Then with the Sanhedrin, no. Then with, the, with Pilate, no. Then with his father, no. But Jesus stood in the howling gale of death. And said, for the joy set before me I stand and I will save them for the joy that that will be. I will do it. No matter that all hell screams at me, I will do it. For Brenda, for Zolly, for every single one of us. For me. And he's still trying it, guys. He's still trying it. Satan is still trying. He still does it every day with you. I don't fit in. I'm not qualified. I'm on the fringe of things. I, I don't really get it. You know. I can't give it the time. She won't understand. Yeah, husbands. I can't tell her that. She would reject me wives he doesn't understand me. friends I've tried to reach out to him but he doesn't ring Satan is trying to do that it's a lie it's a lie it's a lie right back in the garden of Eden the foundation of the lie was put. When the serpent said to Eve, did God say? No, he doesn't want you to know. You see what happened there? Placed in Eve's mind, the sense that God had something that she didn't have or the sense of separation there. And it it worked in the garden. He caused separation. At that moment, with the apple, with the fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he caused separation. Do you remember that story where they were walking in the garden and God says, where are you? We were naked and we were afraid. Isolation. Separation. Rejection. (coughs) Jesus came to tread on the serpent's head and to destroy the works of the evil one he did it for you for each one of us for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame